Our focus today is on worship. Why are we here? The uh, message today is going to be broken up into uh, four different uh, parts and uh, interspersed with some songs, so a little bit different than our normal order of worship. But you've uh, come here to church. It's interesting how we use that word church. It kind of refers to three things. One, it could refer to this building, but it can also refer to the people. Uh, They are members of my church. And it can also refer to what we do here. We do church. We've been looking at the uh, life of Solomon, King Solomon from the Old Testament. And one of the significant things that stands out about him in his life was the focus that he had on worship. And so today we, we want to look at that work of Solomon and, and learn from him about real worship. The first thing we're going to take note of is the church. And I don't mean the building or what we do, but we, the people of God. That's what we see Solomon did. He put his attention on the people first. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, it starts out this way. Now, Solomon, the son of David, established himself firmly over his kingdom. For the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. We start with this because this was the focal point of Solomon, his greatness. Not that he was trying to boast about it or flaunt of it in front of others, but he recognized, as the last part said there, that it was God who had made him exceedingly great. What has God done in your life? Can you think of some significant things that God has done? Maybe you'd say, no, my life is rather, you know, humdrum. It's just kind of average and ordinary like everybody else. Nothing spectacular. But God is still doing that in your life. He's still blessing you in that way. Like Solomon, use your life, the blessings that God has given you, as the starting point for your worship of him. And that's what we see happen next. Then, that is, after he recognized how the Lord had blessed him in life, then Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, to the judges and to all the leaders in Israel, the heads of families, three, uh, and, and Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the wilderness. Now David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim to the place he had prepared for it, because he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar that Bezael, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made was in Gibeon in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon and the assembly inquired of him there. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Now let's recap what he just did. First of all, he spoke to the people. He started with the leaders. He spoke to the commanders of the army, 
to the judges, to all the leaders, and even the heads of families. He talked to them about gathering to worship the Lord. Now, if a king gives an edict, if the president of a country gives some order, there must be something significant and important about it. Solomon is teaching us that worship is important. He called all those leaders together, and what they were to do was to gather the people under them. Even the heads of families he called together to gather their families together to worship the Lord. Now, note where they were meeting. They were meeting in a place called the Tent of Meeting. That was the tabernacle. It was that kind of humble, crude structure that the Israelites had constructed and used the last several hundred years. It was made out of animal hides. It was literally a tent. But that's where they went to meet the Lord. So it was called the Tent of Meeting. And they had a purpose for gathering there, and that was to offer burnt offerings. He offered a thousand burnt offerings. This wasn't some big barbecue. (laughs) The burnt offering was them taking an animal like a cow or bull and burning up the whole thing, keeping nothing for themselves, burning up the whole thing as a sign of dedicating themselves to the Lord who had dedicated himself to them. So gathering God's people together to dedicate themselves to the Lord is worship. That purpose is is further laid out for us in Solomon's words as we continue. Now I am about to build a temple for, or to honor, the name of the Lord my God, and to dedicate it to him for uh, burning fragrant incense before him, for setting out the consecrated bread regularly, and for making burnt offerings every morning and evening, and on the Sabbaths and at the new moons, for setting out the... uh, there we go. And the appointed festivals of the Lord our God. This is a lasting ordinance for Israel. The temple I am going to build will be great, because our God is greater than all other gods. But who am I to build a temple for him? Since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him, who then am I to build a temple for him? except as a place to burn sacrifices before him. First of all, he was describing the purpose for this temple he wanted to build, to honor the Lord. Now, when you think about it, that's a pretty significant task, isn't it? Here we are, weak, sinful human beings, and we have this majestic God And we are going to honor him. That's the purpose of worship. To reflect his faithfulness, the Lord's faithfulness to us. Now he would do that in the worship. As he referred to the burning incense. That was a a symbol that they used reminding them of just as the smoke would rise up, so their prayers would rise up before God. And the sweet smell of the incense would remind them that there was something sweet that accompanied their prayers to God. It wasn't their goodness, their faithfulness or hard work, but it was 
the goodness of the Savior that made prayers acceptable to God. That's why we pray in Jesus' name, with trust in His work. And then he had consecrated bread in the temple. Daily bread, to remind them of the daily blessings that God gave. And then more burnt offerings, more sacrifices, dedicating themselves to God. But then as he said, who am I to do this? Now that was just not some rhetorical question. That was a very pointed question. Who am I? Yeah, I'm just a weak, sinful human being compared to a holy, magnificent God. But you see, that's just it. Look at who I am. And God loves me. I'm an object of his grace. I'm evidence of his enduring love. And I want to reflect that in what I do to his honor. And so as we gather and and, and do our worship, let's keep that in mind. We are God's people who are gathered together to bring honor to his name. So if you think about it, and obviously I want you to think about it, here we are, these insignificant little people compared to a magnificent God, and we declare that our purpose is to honor the name of the Lord. How in the world can we do that? Well, it requires some preparation, I think. Preparation along the lines of of thinking about it and then being intentional with what we do. Now, for most of us probably, coming to church is a, a regular thing. We might say, well, it's our habit, it's our custom. And sometimes when we do things that we're so regular about, we don't really think much about it, and we just kind of go on automatic and do it. But there are some things that we do regularly that we do give intention and thought to. For example, if you clean the kitchen, you give thought to all the detail, all the places you need to clean, all the things that are on the counter that have to be washed. And as you're washing those dishes, you look at it and make sure you got all the spots off. And after they've dried, you put them away again in the place where they belong so everything is organized so you can use them again. So here we do something that's regular, but we give a thought to it and we have some intentionality behind it. Or if you're going to go on vacation, don't you give it some thought ahead of time and some planning? You don't just say, you know what, I'm going to go on vacation and get in your car and just go. You plan things out. Well, if we do that with those things in our life, shouldn't we also do that with the worship that we give God? Let's listen to how Solomon prepared for leading the people in worship. You know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all sides, he could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God, until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is no adversary or disaster. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I will put on the throne in your place, 
will build the temple for my name. You see the thought that he had? His father, David, apparently did not meet the qualifications that the Lord wanted for someone to build this place of worship. David was warlike. David had other things on his royal agenda. That was to subdue the enemies. And by God's blessing, they were subdued. Now Solomon would stand as one who represented peace. But not just the peace that they had in the land from their enemies, but the peace that they had with God. And so Solomon, a king of peace, would now be the one to build this temple to honor the name of the Lord his God. That's what he intended to do. As we reflect on our life, we can see wonderful blessings God has given us, but there's none greater than that relationship of peace that we have with him. As we think about that, then we too can become intentional that we come here to express our thanks to him for that peaceful relationship. Solomon wanted to reflect all of this in the place where the people were worshiping. And so there was preparation even that went into the building of this temple. The words I'm going to share with you now are the the words that Solomon wrote in a letter to the king of Tyre, Sidon, Syria area, asking him for purchasing lumber and other materials and asking him to send skilled workers down his way to build this magnificent temple. Listen to what he said. Send me, therefore, a man skilled to work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, and in purple, crimson, and blue yarn, and experienced in the art of engraving to work in Judah and Jerusalem with my skilled workers, whom my father David provided. Send me also cedar, juniper, and algum logs from Lebanon, for I know that your servants are skilled in cutting timber there. My servants will work with yours to provide me with plenty of lumber because the temple I build must be large and magnificent. I will give your servants, the woodsmen who cut the timber, 20,000 cores of ground, uh, ground wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine. That's kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it? And 20,000 baths of olive oil. Solomon was going to spare no skill and no expense in building this beautiful temple. Why? Because he wanted to reflect the magnificence of his God. It must be large and magnificent, he said. Now, over the years, people have offered different ideas of what that temple might have been looked like. It was destroyed several hundred years later by enemies. But it might have looked something like this from the descriptions we are given. Quite a fantastic building, especially when we think back to, well, in those times, you know, they maybe didn't have all the the skills and abilities and the fine machines that we have today to do wonderful architect. On this diagram, it lays out some of the details of that temple. On the outside courts were that huge altar for those sacrifices. 
and basins of water in which the priests would wash themselves, signifying they'd been cleansed of their sins. Inside the temple, there was more. And here's a cutaway uh, view of that. You can see in the, in the middle a line of uh, long, a long line of golden lampstands. Those lights representing the light who is the Lord in our life. And in the middle, there's that, that table of showbread, reminding them of the daily blessings that God gives. And, and the little spot of blue in the middle is the high priest. He's, he's standing before that altar of incense, offering up prayers to God. And all of that is before a, a beautifully woven curtain behind which was the Ark of the Covenant. And here it's, it's overshadowed by those two monumental structures, those creatures that were to symbolize cherubim angels. All of that representing the presence of the Lord. And the high priest could only go back into that room one time out of the year on the Day of Atonement to offer the blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. Look at the, the beauty, the, the gold that's there, and all the thought that was given into what worship was about. He wanted it to be great, magnificent, because of the greatness of his God. Now, maybe our structure here is a little more humble in its setting. But in a few minutes, we'll reflect on its beauty too. Because here we gather to remind ourselves of the grace, the enduring love of God in our life. Worship is a time for us to be able to enjoy and express that personal relationship of peace that we have with God because of Jesus. But in order to experience that, we also have to participate on a personal level. We see how that participation was also taking place in the preparations that were going on for worship. The people who were involved with the design and the building of the tabernacle, or the temple rather, and, and gathering God's people together. There was participation, personally involved. And that happens here too. There are so many people who work behind the scenes, so to speak, on this campus and in a number of different ways to make it a, a wonderful place for God's people to gather to worship, whether it be people who are doing the landscaping or the cleaning, people who are organizing the worship services and making the bulletins, uh, people who are practicing, people who get the altar area already. Everybody is, is using the, the gifts that God has given them to get things ready. Then when it's time to worship, it's time for people to get personally involved again. Let's hear how that happened in Solomon's day. All the Levites, that is all the priests, who were musicians, Asaph, Haman, Jeduthun, and their sons and relatives, stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen, and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres, they were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. Beautiful music. People were participating to bring music, to add music to their praise of the Lord. Music stirs our hearts. It moves us to want to bring those praises to God. Here there were people who were using their gifts for that very purpose. But notice the focus of what they're doing. It's all about praising Jesus, their God. 
The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. As they were carrying out their participation with music, it had one purpose, to bring praise to the Lord. It wasn't about showing off their abilities, to get people to comment to them about how good they sound. It wasn't about, we're going to do it my way, and then I know it'll be satisfactory to me. It was all about bringing people together to praise the Lord. Notice what their focus was on. He is good. Recounting the blessings God has given us, as we talked about before. His love endures forever. For a minute, I just want to focus on that word forever. When you hear the word forever, what do you think about? Besides a sermon. (laughs) We always think of the future, right? The future. His love is forever. It's unending. But forever also means forever in the past as well. God's love is forever there. The scriptures tell us that even before the world was created, God loved us. And even though he knew that we would rebel, that we would sin against him, and that his will would call for the punishment of sin through death, he still created us with a plan to rescue us from that curse. The plan called for sending a Savior to come in our place. All of human history is about God's working His plan of grace for people. In the Scriptures, that plan is given a narrow focus as we see how God picked a particular people, a nation called Israel, through whom He would preserve His promises and through whom He would send the Savior his own son. God himself would come into this world to rescue us, coming to live with us, to live for us, providing a righteousness, a perfect obedience to God's law that becomes ours simply through trusting in him. And then that Savior would take upon himself the guilt of our sins, Suffering the punishment for our sins so that you and I would not suffer that punishment. Jesus' death on the cross. He would rise again. Come back to life to make the declaration of forgiveness. That pronouncement that we are innocent of our sins and because of that we will live forever. You see, we're here today to celebrate God's forever love. A love that has always been there. A love that's here now. And a love that will continue forever. Did you know what happened at the end of this event? 
The temple is filled with this miraculous cloud. So thick that the priests couldn't even continue with their service. Now what was that? That was the glory of the Lord. God had used a cloud in the Old Testament times to show the people He was present with them. It says, when all the elders of Israel had arrived and the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all of the sacred furnishings in it, the priests and the Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. And then the priests brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Now, I don't know if you've noticed it, but God is here with us. Maybe not in a way with that cloud for us to see, but he is here with his glory, which is his grace. And although our little sanctuary may be humble in appearance compared to Solomon's great temple, we still have reminders of God's grace here. Just take a look at that beautiful window. Beautiful not just because of the colors, but because of the message. There we see the outline of the three crosses on Calvary, the middle one on which our Lord died. We see the dove for the Holy Spirit coming down, reminding us that this was God's will, that Jesus died for the people, and that he would come with his Spirit to give us forgiveness and faith, trust in that Savior. You see spots of red sprinkled throughout the building, uh, throughout the window. It's to remind us of the blood of Jesus. That Lamb of God that was put on the altar of God, sacrificed to take away everyone's sins. That altar also serves as a table. A table on which then we celebrate the Lord's Supper. In which the Lord gives us that actual blood and His body as proof that our sins have been paid for and we are forgiven. As the people of God, then, we can gather to celebrate that grace when we come up here and kneel before our God and receive the blessing of His grace. God is with us when we worship. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. We are blessed with God's grace. And that's why we gather to worship, to praise Him for that enduring love. We have it now. We've had it forever and will have it forever. Our worship has one more purpose. In addition, in addition to honoring God among us, we want to honor Him before others too. 
We want to proclaim Him, His name to others. I'm going to read a, a portion of Solomon's prayer spoken at the dedication of the temple. And that's what he asked for. That their worship would be a proclaiming to others the goodness of God. As for the foreigner, and by that he meant anyone who was not in Israel, somebody who didn't know the Lord God. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when they come and pray toward this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel and may know that this house I have built bears your name. As a church, as the people of God, we have as our purpose first to know the grace of God in Jesus Christ and then to grow in our faith, love, and service to God. All for the purpose then so that we would go out into the community and into this world with God's saving gospel. That's what we do when we do church. Today, when you came and you pulled into this parking lot, you were sending a message to people who saw you. You were telling them, worshiping God is important. When you left your homes today, if you were dressed not looking like you were going to the beach, although our youth group is leaving in a half an hour to go to the beach, so they look like they're going to the beach, but you're looking like you're going somewhere important, you're sending a message. And if your neighbors know you're a Christian then they know what you're doing when you leave that house Sunday morning. When we have activities here on this campus, we want people to know this is about God. And so we include God and focus on Jesus in those activities. Now what message might you be sending if people know you're a Christian, but you don't go to church? That's eh, not important. What message might we be giving to people who come here and experience activities, but it has nothing to do about God? Eh, it's not important. No, it is important. What we do is proclaiming this. The Lord is God. Come, let's worship him.